0: This evening, we're going to be continuing on in Malachi chapter 3, so if uh, you haven't turned there already, go ahead and uh, turn to verse 8 of chapter 3 of Malachi. Now, as we've been going through Malachi, you know we've seen uh, quite a bit of uncomfortable things that Malachi and specifically the Lord is saying, specifically to the priests, but also in connection with the priests, he's speaking to all of us, to all believers. And tonight is no different. Malachi, he just keeps them coming, like I said... It's one of the things I really appreciate about Malachi. He just says it like it is. And tonight we're going to have an especially uncomfortable topic for all of us. <laughs> but you know the, the the beautiful thing about the Lord's word, when you have uh, topics like uh, tonight's topic, which is going to be tithing, there's only a very few places in the scriptures that are actually overtly tithed scriptures. Now, there's lots of different places, lots of different offerings where you can kind of, if you're doing like a pledge drive or something like that, you can kind of weave in tithing into the sermon or something like that. But there's only a few of them that are actually overtly the Lord absolutely talking about tithing. So uh, tonight is going to be one of those nights, and uh, we're going to be looking at this thing called tithing, uh, the purpose of tithing, why we tithe, and even the consequences of not tithing as uh, Malachi is going to be declaring to the priests and to the people of Israel. So before we begin, uh, let's just have a a quick word of prayer, and then we're going to read through the text, and uh, we'll continue on. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, we know that it is uh, profitable for us, Lord, in every season of the soul. Lord, we know that you speak through your word, Lord, that your Holy Spirit ministers through the word. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would open our hearts now, Lord, that you would open our ears to your word, or that we might receive all that you have for us, that we might be built up, encouraged, and edified, strengthened, Lord, in the ways of the Lord. We love you so much, Lord, and we just pray that you would pour out your blessing upon this gathering, for we come in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Join with me, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, mm-hmm. says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. <laughs> amen. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. Man, boy, it just you just jump right into that one, huh? It's not like a warm up. It's not you know like when you're going on a roller coaster how you you're going up and up and up and you're just waiting you're just kind of warming up you're thinking wow this is going to be a big drop and the more ticks you hear the the faster the drop you know it's going to be this one's not like that this one is more like uh, Superman at uh, at Six Flags Magic Mountain where you're sitting there and all of a sudden they just go boom and then you're at full speed and you're flying up the rails right that's pretty much how Malachi enters into this uh, into this text right now. But before we really get into uh, really digging into beginning at verse 8, I want to ask this thing about, I want to talk about tithing for a second because it's an important topic to talk about, Uh, especially as New Testament believers, as uh, part of the body of Christ, as part of the church. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I've heard many teachings, I've heard many pastors talk about tithing. And there is a very real question and debate among pastors and scholars even uh, about tithing. Is tithing a New Testament practice or not? Is it something that is relevant to the church today or not? It's an important question, don't you think? And you know, I, I've heard people that were absolutely, you know, we, we have to tithe, and if, if you're not tithing, you're not saved kind of guys and then I've heard other people saying, well, you know, you know, tithing is the one, you know, it's an area that in the Old Testament was not reiterated in the New Testament. And so it's not really, you know, the, the principle for New Testament giving is more, you know, give with a joyful heart, whatever you can give with a joyful heart, that's what you should give. And that's about it. So uh, what is this tithing? Is it a New Testament practice? Is it relevant to us today? It's an important question, huh? Well, we're going to be addressing that question, and you know the, the first aspect of that is, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, the, the people who say that tithing is not a New Testament practice, they say, well, we are not under the law. Tithing was part and parcel; it was connected to the law. That's what that's where tithing is, and so they say we're not under the law, and I would say absolutely not. Uh, no, we are not under the the law of. Um, the 10 commandments. We're not under the priesthood of Levi and things like that. But what we can say, we, and I'm sure that we'd all agree with the, the scriptures tell us so, that we are under the priesthood of Melchizedek. Jesus himself in Hebrews uh, chapter 5, verse 6, it says that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So we are under the Melchizedekian priesthood, if you will. So turn with me, keep your, keep your finger here in Malachi, but go ahead and turn to Genesis 14 and verse 18. So we're just going to kind of warm up into this tithing for a second just so we can have an idea because it's very important to settle this in our minds of, is tithing relevant to the church? Okay, Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high, and he blessed him, that's Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abraham, or Abram, of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be, blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him a tithe of all. Hmm. Now, the, and then you get into this whole thing with the king of Sodom and all that, but we have the, the first example of tithing in the scriptures is Abraham tithing to this priest, this priest of God called Melchizedek. Now, those of you, if you're Bible students and maybe you're you're not clear on the chronology of this, this is before the law. So this is an example of tithing that is outside of the law. It has nothing to do with Levi and giving to the temple or anything like that. The temple wasn't even in creation at this time. So under the priesthood of Melchizedek, tithing is here. So not only that, but also people will say that, hey, you know what? You know, we're disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, he's, the, he's our all in all, like the song we were just singing. You know, he's the fulfillment of all of that. And so, you know, we're, we're not liable to that. Well, keep your finger here in Malachi, but now flip forward to Matthew chapter 23. You don't have to go very far. And we're going to be at verse 23. Now, this is Jesus addressing the scribes and Pharisees of his day. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Nice. So by that, what would you say? Is tithing a New Testament principle? Well, wait a second. That verse isn't finished yet. Uh, These you ought to have done. Which these? Mercy, justice. Is that what he's talking about there? It's important to understand what the these is. He says, these you ought to have done, but now listen, without leaving the others undone. What, had the, what were the Pharisees doing and what were they not doing? The Pharisees were tithing of everything. And they would literally, I mean, we're talking like they're going, like if you got your pepper shaker, they would dump out their pepper and go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. That one's for the Lord. One, two, three, four. And they, I mean, they, they were pretty hardcore on this stuff. And Jesus says, these, and that's what he's talking about here on the these, these you ought to have done. He's saying, yes, you should do this. And yet, you should not leave out the others, the more important things, the weightier matters of the law, which is mercy, justice, these such and such things like that. So we have Jesus himself, just, and he doesn't talk a lot about tithing in the New Testament, and it's not really necessary because Pretty much everybody of that era, everybody in that time, you know, there, there was already an assumption that tithing was there. You know, you know, most of the, the first Christians were Jews and they all understood tithing. They were all there. You know, whether he, you know, brought that into the Gentiles, we see them giving gifts. Paul's taking collections from the Gentiles oftentimes. And so, you know, we kind of see it there. But there's one instance in the New Testament where it's really talking about tithing. And it's Jesus, and he just basically said, hey, these things you ought to have done. He says, okay, so you know, giving you props for doing the tithing. He says, but, he says, you've neglected the greater things. So a- as we look at these things, as we look at the scriptures, we look at the Old Testament, we look at the New Testament, and we do see this uh, principle of tithing. We do see it in the Old Testament under Melchizedek before the law. We see it throughout the law, and then we also see it, Jesus, he, he's just kind of, he's tipping his hat to it in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, and yet he's, he's giving credibility to it. It's something that was expected. It was something that was, you know, everybody, you know, nobody would question, you know, if you were living in Jesus' day and you said, do you tithe? They'd say, Shh, of course, of course. Yeah, you know, it, it was just, it was part of the culture. It was, it was just a given, and so it wasn't really you know anything that they would really need to talk about all that much because it was something that was already commonly practiced so this evening we're going to be talking about tithing this evening i i, I personally am absolutely convinced that tithing is an essential part of the church today as an essential part of the walk of the believer and you know, just so you know that i'm not somebody who would Stand up here and say, Hey, you need to do this, and yet I myself not doing it. I have been tithing for pretty much my entire walk as a Christian. I remember before I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, I absolutely refused to allow Heidi to tithe. I was just like, Nope, no way, no how, uh uh-uh, uh, not even close, no thank you. And yet, when the Lord got a hold of my heart and I began seeing the principle of tithing within the scriptures, then it was, it was just a very natural thing. It's like, you know what? You know, we've got bills. We've got car payments. At that time, we had a house payment. We had all these things. And yet, I was like, I, you know, where's the money going to come from? But it's like, all right, Lord, you know what? This is what you said, so here we go. And, you know, pretty soon after I got saved, I, we started doing the tithe. And we didn't do the tithe at the end of the month. We did it at the beginning of the month. So every time the paycheck came in, every time, you know, the, the money hit the the, the bank account, It wasn't like, okay, well, I'm going to pay all my bills, and then whatever's left, that's what we do. It's like, no, 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 no. We started with, okay, you know what? We're going to pay the tithe, and then we'll pay all of our bills. And you know what? In the entire time that I've been a Christian, in the entire, every single year I've ever been a Christian, I have never, ever once been lacking for anything. We have given up the tithe faithfully, like I said, my entire walk, and we've never come up short. The Lord has always been there. And so I I don't share that in order to like have a boast or anything, but just so I can speak with a sense of authority saying, hey, you know what, I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not saying, hey, you should, but I'm not. You know, I, I want you to know that there is a great joy and peace and comfort in tithing. And you know what, as we enter into uh, Malachi chapter three, verse eight, it's important that you understand that your pastor is somebody who is also a tither. So, last week in Malachi chapter three verse seven, the Lord remember what He spoke. It was the, the last little exhortation that the Lord had uh, to the people in last week's study, and it was return to me. Return to me, and I will return to you. And they and it, it's the heart of the deceived. It's the heart of the people who have so hardened their hearts to the Lord that they think they're fine. They think they're good, and yet. Malachi already pointed out all of these things that they were doing that were contrary to the law, contrary to a heart that is soft for God. They had been doing all of these things. And yet he says, return to me. The Lord is pleading with him, return to me now. He said, and I will return to you. I will return to you. And what was their question? What is the question of the deceived, of the religious hypocrite? How should we return? We've never left. They had no idea of their condition whatsoever. And tonight, tonight is that response. It's God's response to that question. They said, how shall we return to you? And and they had had no idea. They, They had no comprehension that they had really drifted from the Lord in any way whatsoever. And so now the Lord, through the prophet Malachi, is going to be putting a fine point onto just one of the things that they are doing that has... Hold them away from God. And so it begins with uh, verse 8, and it says, Will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? Just, uh, I I sat there and kind of chewed just on on those words for a few minutes, and it's like, Who is man? You know, who is man? Man (laughs) was created in God's image, yes. You know, man was perfect and sinless when he was created. But then man fell and man rebelled against God, man sinned against God. And then man became so defiled by that sin that man literally forgot, it literally deceived himself and suppressed the knowledge of God so much so that he began to worship the creation rather than the creator. He turned his heart from God and turned against God. And then yet we have this question now, who is God? Well, God is perfection. God is life. God is power. He is He is everything. He is perfect. He is holy. He is sanctified. You know, he is set apart. You know, this is God. And that God, that holy, just, and righteous God. He looked at this rebellious creation that had turned away from him and was so marred from the image of God, and yet God had compassion on man and made a way of redemption for that man. That's God, right? So who is man? Fallen, sinful, marred from the image of God. Who is God? God is perfection and life. Now, you look at that, and you think about that for a second, and it says, will a man rob God? And now, when I say that, in that context, the act itself becomes disgusting, doesn't it? It becomes revolting when you think about this sinful, wicked man stealing from God, robbing from God. That, that word for rob, it literally means to cover. It'd be like if they had something else, it's like, Like a shoplifter, they'll take it and they'll be going like this and they'll finger something and they'll kind of sneak it like that. You know, you can think of some disgusting examples of that. You know, as I was, you know, just pondering these things, I thought, hey, you know what? You know, if I said you know, Satan robs God, I'd be like, oh, absolutely, of course, I would expect that. That would be, you know, of course, you know, here he is, you know, gods he's trying to rob God of his glory. He's trying to rob God of worship. He's trying to rob God of souls. You know, Satan would stop at nothing to, you know, to rob God of anything he could. And yet when I speak about men, though, robbing God, the the, the very idea turns your stomach, doesn't it? And I can give you some examples. You say, well, it's not really turning my stomach right now, Pastor. Well, let me, let me just give you some examples and let me know if these things would make you maybe a little upset or angry. Uh, any of you guys know Raul Diaz from Worship Generation? Yeah, Raul. You know, great guy. Cool guy. Uh, did you guys know that at a Worship Generation service, his car brought, got broken into and I believe it was his laptop got stolen at church in the church parking lot? And you think, okay, who would be hard-hearted enough to come to a church, break into somebody's car, and steal it, right? Doesn't that kind of make you upset? Kind of, it's, like, it's like, ugh. And yet, you know, that actually happens all the time. You know the reason in big churches, you know why they have the ushers walking around the parking lots? It's because there's a regular thing that happens at big churches people will come and they know that the people are in the service. They know that they're in there for a good hour, hour and a half. And so they've got plenty of time. And what they'll do is they'll steal the people's uh, radios. They'll break into the cars and steal. makes you upset, doesn't it? Here people are coming to hear from the Lord. They're coming to draw near to God. And yet this man would have the audacity to come and steal people's cars, break into people's cars, taking advantage of them while they are seeking God. Kind of makes you sick, doesn't it? Makes me sick. Well, uh what about i've heard of this happening i've never actually witnessed it happen but i've definitely heard of it happening uh the offering plate going around you know being passed people throwing in their tithes and offerings and somebody instead of throwing a tie then takes money out just a quick and off you go What, what would you say about that person what would you say about the heart inside that person pretty hard right to literally be stealing from the offering plate as it is going on. These are people's tithes and offerings. You know, sometimes there's like the widow's mites are in that offering. And yet somebody would have, you know, the hard-heartedness enough to take money from the plate. Is that getting you riled yet? Getting a little like, "Mm." okay, if that doesn't do it, well, I got one more for you. What about leadership in a church? What about leadership in church who steal funds from the church itself? What about, you know, they have these incredible, huge, just like sky high salaries? What about um, men who have like incredible perks? Like they, they have their own you know, j- private jets and things like that. They have Rolls Royces and, and Rolex watches and you know, $5,000 suits and $2,000 ties that starting to rile you a little bit. Uh, what about people who just outright embezzle money? I was having a conversation with a guy on Sunday and he was talking about a pastor that he used to sit under they had never checked the books. They had never done an audit on the books of the church. This is like the, the, the board and the trustees and all that. And they had never done it. So when they did do it, they found out that he had been embezzling money for like 10 years. And it, it had gone up into the tens of thousands of dollars. Makes you sick, doesn't it? To think about a pastor doing that. To think about a pastor, somebody who is given to the word of God to be literally stealing from the tithes and the offerings of the people. Those tithes and those offerings are holy, aren't they? And that is exactly what this man had been doing. The concept of it, it turns my stomach when I think about it. It's something that's just like, yes, that is not right. That is absolutely wrong. And yet, yet, some of us this evening have, and are robbing God. Tithes and offerings. That is is the declaration of Malachi, verse 8. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And the answer is in tithes and offerings. What exactly is a tithe? What is a tithe? A tithe literally means a tenth. One tenth. Nothing more. What's an offering? An offering, is it literally means above. That's what offering means. So an offering is something that is above the tithe. You begin with the tithe, the the first fruits of the Lord. He he declares them. He he claims them as his own. He says, these are mine. He says, the the, the tithe is mine. And then after that, there's this thing called the offerings. And they're the things that are above the offering, are above the tithe. And you just go like, wow, you know, that's pretty heavy. Yeah, it is. Trust me, I know. I'm up here delivering this message. <laughs> In verse nine, it says, you are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me. See, he says it again. He, God is very adamant on this. It's because you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And as I, as I look at tithing, as I look at you know, this whole thing, I read, I forget which pastor it was, but he was talking about how the tithe sanctifies the 90. You think of a tithe as 10%, it's one one tenth. But he says the tithe, and this is just the explanation that he gave. He said the tithe sanctifies the 90. The 10 sanctifies the 90. And you think, okay, well, explain. What exactly does that mean? Well, uh, keep your finger here once again. Flip back to Genesis chapter three. And we're going to start at verse 17. This is immediately preceding the fall of man. Then to Adam, the Lord said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, It shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face. You shall eat the bread till you return to the ground for out of it. You were taken for dust. You are and to dust you shall return. So what do we know of man? What do we know of the earth and everything? It's the increase of the earth. What do we know of it? What did Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 18, what did it declare about all of those things? They're under a curse. They're under a curse, all of it. And now you have that. The whole thing is under a curse. All of the overflow, all of the increase, it's under a curse. And yet the Lord says, sow your seed, labor as you will, as you must, and give me Ten. He says, give me 10. He says, and I will bless the rest. I will bless the 90. But this is what we run into. I remember before I was a Christian, for me it was greed. I just didn't want to give. I didn't want to give 10. What? You know which money that is? No way. But my greed, my fear, my doubt held tight to my increase. I had a good job. You know, we had 401k, we had profit sharing. I had non-exempt salary. That means I was salary, but I also got overtime. It was wonderful. We also had safety awards and things like that. I got a barbecue one time. I got a TV another time. We had all these things. I I had a great job. And yet I I couldn't let go. I couldn't let go of the increase. I, I, I was holding tight onto it. And yet, and yet, Do you know what I discovered? And I I don't know if you guys have ever, you know, wrestled with tithing or not, but when we hold on to it, when we hold on to the fullness of it, guess what we've discovered? That it's cursed. That, you know, we work and we work and we labor and we labor and we sow and we sweat. And then only to find out, it's like, gosh, is that it? Is that really all that came back? Is that all that I, that I bore? Is like after taxes and more taxes and oh yeah, a few more taxes. Then finally, what I get back is like that's it. Do you know how hard I worked? Do you know how long I worked? Do you know how much stress was involved in this? And that's it. <laughs> that's it. Why? Because it's under a curse and it will you know we we sit there and we're we're sowing 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 with the anticipation with the hope that you know we've sowed good seed and so we're going to get a great harvest we're gonna we're gonna reap a great harvest and yet what what does the ground produce thorns and thistles right that that's what the lord declared that was the curse in genesis chapter three and so uh haggai this is just for your just as a reference go ahead and look this up later haggai uh, chapter one, verses 10 and 11, speaks about this very thing, how God has cursed the ground, how he has literally, you know, he has, uh, he had made the sky like iron, so it would not rain down, it wouldn't pour down on the land and bless their, their crops. He literally had done that, it, it was cursed, and, and with Malachi right here, he's saying, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. What had they robbed? Well, we know already that the priests were giving lame offerings. They were allowing the people and even encouraging the people to, you know, bring, you know, instead of, you know, healthy and, you know, spotless lambs, they were bringing lame and, you know, these animals that were not in good shape. And he said, he goes, hey, if you think that's so great, he goes, give it to your governors to see if they think, you know, highly of you for, for offering the lame and the blind. He says, of course not. He goes, yet you give this to me. He says, and I am a great king. We know that these priests are doing all sorts of things, and yet you know, they're just kind of, hey, what do you mean? How shall we return? What do you mean? What do you mean, rob you? Us? What do you mean? And he says, in the fact that you have withheld the tithes and the offerings, he says this, in this way you have robbed me. The tithe redeems the ninety, the ninety, the hundred percent is already cursed, and yet the tithe, it sanctifies, it redeems, it purchases back, it removes the the power of the curse over the ninety, that it that ninety will be even more fruitful than that ten percent, than the hundred percent. And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but I I know that when I refused to to tithe, when I refused to give God my all, that it was, man, paycheck to paycheck, there was always bills, there was always stress, there was always this, and then the funny thing was, you know, we started tithing, and it's like, huh, wow, where'd that money come from? I have no idea, but there it is. it is. It just seemed to go further, and you know what? I can't say that I completely understand it and can completely just say, hey, yeah, this is the way it works. Here it is. Here's the math equation on why tithing changes things. And yet by experience, I've seen that it does. It absolutely does. In verse 10, it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, I like the way the King James actually translate this. It says, bring all the tithes and you think, oh, that means Jake's tithes and Stacy's tithes and Walter's tithes and Brian's tithes. Bring all those tithes. But that's actually not what that means. The King James actually translated it in a more clear way in this case. And it says, bring the whole tithe. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Bring the whole tithe. And you think, oh, what does that mean? Well, what people were doing is they were bringing some of the tithe. They say, Hey, you know what? Here's my field. Here's the harvest. And you know, here's the 10th, but that's a lot of wheat, man. That's a lot of barley. So here's a chunk of the tithe. Here you go. Here's a portion of it. And that's what they're doing. And they're saying, Hey, you know, uh, you know, every harvest, you know, we, we give a portion of the tithe. Here it is. And yet, let me ask you this. Is a portion of the tithe, is weekly giving, is bi-weekly giving, is monthly giving, is that tithing? The answer is no. No. What is tithing? A tenth. One tenth. The tenth that sanctifies and redeems the other ninety. That's what tithing is. And so he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. This is an important thing. And he, and he says, why? Why? He says, so there would be food in my house. So that there would be food in my house. Now, in Nehemiah's days, the, the priests were actually withholding the tithes because, you know, the people would bring the tithes into the temple. And then what was supposed to happen is the tithe was supposed to be for the Levites. And then the Levites would tithe a tenth of the people's tithes and give it to the priests. That makes sense, you guys follow that? And yet what they were doing is the people brought in the tithe into the storehouses and then the priests were taking it all and withholding it from the, the Levites. That means the priests were getting like buko bucks and the Levites were getting nothing. And they were doing this to such a degree that the Levites literally had to leave their posts. They had to stop serving in the temple and they had to go out into, the, into their lands, into the common lands, and they had to start working and you know harvesting and things like that just to provide for their families. And what was the result of that? The temple began to fail, 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 getting worse and worse condition. By us withholding the tithe, They were actually stopping the work of God in that land. They were literally resisting what God was doing in that place. They were keeping God's blessing from that place and from those people. And you think, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Pastor, you said it many times that God owns the cattle of a thousand hills and he does not, I repeat, he does not require money. True, I have said that and I still say that. And yet, I would also say this, that God will never, I won't say never. I I don't like to put God in a box. I don't believe God will very, I think it would be very rarely that he would alter this. But God doesn't turn the stones into bread when his people already have the means in their own hands and yet refuse to give. If the people have the means, if they have the tithe and yet they're withholding it, Why would God say, oh, let me do this miraculous thing among you. Oh, look, you know, your finances are tight, but here, like this. Oh, you know, you want to do this great outreach over there. And, you know, here, here's all the finances you need. Yet, if the people have the means and yet refuse to, you know, give God his portion, the tenth, then why would he? Why would he? I don't think he would. You know, there's obviously, you know, exceptions to every rule. God can do what he wants. He's God, not me. And yet, you know, we see this. We can resist the work of God by something as simple as not trusting God in this. And I don't know if you picked up on the music that we were singing. Did you notice the common theme throughout all of those songs? It was all pointing to God. It was all pointing to his glory. It was all pointing to him. Everything was pointing to him and we kind of think about tithing backwards we think of it as oh i have to give 10 10? 10% are you serious is that net or gross by the way you know those are the kind of arguments that we have with ourselves right and really is that is what but you know really in, in the end in the end all of it's the lord's is it not all of the earth and all of the produce in it. Was it not God who gave man the strength to earn a living, to work the fields by the sweat of his brow? Isn't it not God who gave man understanding that he might think if you have an office job and, and do that kind of stuff? Isn't it God who blessed us and gave us favor with our bosses and things like that to allow us to accumulate wealth? And you know, we, a lot of times we think about, oh, you know, I have to give 10% and we're focused on the 10%. But what we don't realize is that God has kept nothing back from us God has kept nothing back from us. And I couldn't help but to think about in the Garden of Eden. What did God say? He says, you may eat of all of the trees in the garden except one. He held one thing back. One thing. But all the fullness thereof, everything else is yours to enjoy. Be blessed. We're in Genesis also. Joseph, remember he was in Potiphar's house? Do You remember what? It was really pretty profound, actually. Do you remember what Joseph said to Potiphar's wife? He said, I am the greatest man in this house. He says, and my master has put everything under my control, and he has withheld nothing from me save you because you are his wife. There was one thing that was held back, And Joseph saw her, even though she wasn't acting very holy, she was holy. She was sanctified to his master, whom he did revere, whom he did respect. But Joseph recognized it. He said, nothing has been withheld from me except you. And I will not, I will not dishonor that. I will not reach out and take that which is not mine. And the Lord, he has given us everything. He has withheld nothing from us save the tithe. He says, This is mine. Give it back. Give it back. This is mine. This belongs to me. And in verse 10 also, it says, he says, that there might not be, or that there may be food in my house. And he says, now listen to this. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. You know what that means? Try me now in this? It says, test me. Prove me in this. And you think, wait a second, isn't that sacrilegious? I thought Jesus quoted in the New Testament, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Isn't that true? Jesus did say that, didn't he? And yet what we have right here in all things in life, God says, not test me, he says, trust me, right? In every manner of life, he says, trust me. And that anything that is not of faith is of sin. And yet, there is one exception to this rule. And it's here because God himself commands it. He said, test me now. Test me in this. Prove me. Put God to the test with the tithe. That almost sounds sacrilegious. It feels It feels weird declaring it. And yet it is the truth of the scriptures. It is what's said here. Because throughout everything, in every manner, in every walk of life, God says, trust me, have faith in me, believe. That is the work of the believer, to believe. And yet when it comes to tithing, he says, test me. Test me. And you go, no, 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 no. I won't test you. I won't test you. Be careful. Be careful because another man said that once. And the prophet got really angry at him, He got really angry at him, and said, you weary me and my God. The Lord says, it's not not a suggestion, hey, come on, try, try, test me. He's commanding you, test me in this. Test me in this. What's the test? He says, literally, he says, because I will open for you the windows of heaven. Now, this is an agricultural society that he's speaking to. What does that mean? He, uh, he said in Haggai chapter one, verses 10 and 11, that he was going to, he literally made the, the skies like iron. He wasn't going to allow any rain to fall because they were cursed because they're withholding the tithe from him. And now he says, give of the tithe. He says, test me in this place. Try me, see that I won't open up the windows of heaven for you. Doesn't that just sound glorious? He literally says, I'm going to make it rain across not just your little house, he said, but across your whole land, your whole nation will I bless. He says, test me. He said, test me now in these things. He said, he says, for I will open the windows of heaven and listen to this and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I like that word pour out. Do you know you know what it means? It's literally like opening. That's that's what it means. It's like if you have a bag and the bag is shut and for these people the bag was shut, right? That's the context. The bag is shut. He says he says test me on this. He says, and see that I will open up the windows of heaven and I will pour out. And what that word pour out means, it's literally like a bag that was closed and now it is opening to its absolute, to the very max capacity of how wide that thing can open. It basically means that he is going to pour out so there is nothing left inside. So when God talks about his blessings, he's like, hey, you know what? Test me in the tithe. Test me in the tithe. He says, and see if I do not open up the, the, the windows of heaven. Now, are we an agricultural society? no but you know what god can still bless can't he and the blessings of god he says listen i will not withhold anything i will take it and i will open it wide i will open wide the mouth of my blessings and i will pour them out entirely upon you now let me just say this does this mean that if i give 10 percent, that i'm going to be rich is that what that means I actually had a friend back in my golden craft days and he, that's what he believed. I, you know, when, when I got saved and I started tithing and yeah, you know, he had been going to church a lot longer than I had, but I told him, was like, oh yeah, you know, I, I didn't know there was anything weird about tithing. It's like, oh, once I got saved, I was like, isn't that what we're supposed to do? And I told him that, you know, we, he and I were just having a conversation. I told him how I was tithing now and he goes, you're tithing like the 10% net or gross. And then from there, he's like, man, God, he's you know, he's gotta bless you now. He's gotta bless you now. And it's like, hmm, I never really thought of it like that. Does it mean that we're gonna be rich? Hmm. God, his increase isn't always monetary. Many times it is. I will say many times, I'm not going to say it's never monetary. Many times it is, in fact, monetary. And yet a lot of things come from tithing. Because in tithing, because God says, test me on this. But in every other aspect of life, he says, trust me. And when you tithe, guess what? What's required of you? Trust. (laughs) Isn't it funny how God works all things back to the same end? He says, try me on this. And when you do, you will learn to trust me in everything else. You will grow in maturity. You will grow in faith. You will grow in boldness because, hey, if you see that God is faithful, that he does keep his word, then when you want to talk to somebody else, when you're on the street sharing with somebody, when you're talking to an unsaved family member, guess what? You've got greater boldness because you can say, look, I have put God to the test and he has shown himself faithful. When we trust God, we learn to love him more. Think about it. What marriage can be built and truly grow and prosper if there is not trust in the marriage? Can it? Not really. Not really. When we are willing to put our trust in God, then guess what? We will learn to love him more. And not only that, but we will also grow in hope because when we see God answer in such a trivial thing as money, I mean, think about it. There's billionaires, there's millionaires. Are any of them happy with their money? No. In the end, what is money? A means to an end. And if you have enough money to put clothes on your back and food in your stomach, then with that, God says, be content. You don't need anything more than that. Shelter, but what about my house? What about, hey man, Jesus was homeless. God doesn't promise anything beyond that. And yet, there is so much more. And if we can't trust God in something so trivial as money, do we really trust him at all? When we become sick. When a wife is unfaithful to her husband. When a husband is cheating at his job and the wife is brokenhearted about it. When, name it. When the true trials of life, when the things that really matter come. If we can't trust God in something as simple as some money, which it would probably equate to our you know, takeout food for the month, If we can't trust him in such a small thing as that, how will we ever truly trust him in the bigger things, the weightier matters of life, when they come? In 1 Kings 17, 10 through 14, it's the story of Elijah and the widow. And I want you to notice something, because the tithe is an investment. The tithe is something that we sow the tithe and then we reap the benefits of it we we reap the increase of it and it's always in that order that's the order and i was looking at elijah and the widow because you know elijah remember he was at the the brook cherith and the 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 brook dries up and the ravens stop bringing the food and then he's really he's getting thirsty thirsty but he didn't leave because god sent him there so he was waiting for god to send him out and then finally god said the word of the lord came to him and says okay go And so he goes, and how do I know that that was the fact? Because the first thing he, when he got to town, he sees the widow and he says, can you give me a drink? I'm really thirsty. And then she gives him a drink and he says, and she's heading off and he goes, hey, will you also give me something to eat? She's like, hey, I ain't got any food. He says, I've got this last little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. I'm gonna mix it together. Me and my son are gonna eat it and then we're gonna die because that is the last thing we have. And he said, no. He says, but give me a piece of it first. And then God's gonna He's gonna take care of the rest. Now she did, didn't she? That that's the testimony of this widow is that she did. She, you know, she went, and even though she was in absolute, utter poverty, this was the last thing. A little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, that was all that she had. And yet she took it and she's got a kid to feed. You know, defensive we can get when we have when our when we think our kids are in danger. She's trying to feed her kid. This is the last morsel of bread. She's literally taking the, the food out of the mouth of her child to give to the man of God. She takes a piece, she gives it to him, and he eats. And he says, the flour and the oil will not run out. They will not run out. And you know what? They didn't until, until the drought, the famine had ended. Until it actually rained and prosperity came back to the land, that flour and that oil never ran out. But first, and this is, what I was, this is what I was contemplating this afternoon, but what if, what if she said no? And what if she consumed it all on herself and her son? What would have been her end? She would have been hungry because that, that little bit of flour and that little bit of oil wouldn't have filled her. She would have remained hungry and then she would have died and her son would have died with her. tithe is an investment. It's trust. It's saying, you know what, Lord, it doesn't make sense. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And yet, Lord, I put my trust in you. And then it allows God to answer back and say, okay, now let me show you how I'm going to act. Let me show you how I'm going to respond to this. I'm going to show you how I'm going to sanctify what you do have, what remains. The tithe and the offering." In many ways, it's like a thermostat. It's a thermostat of the heart of the believer. It's a thermostat to say, you know what? Where are we with the Lord our God? Do we trust Him? Do we love Him? The Bible says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And yet, what is the, one of the hardest things for us to part with? Money. Money. You know, we'll we'll send our kids to this, to that, to this, to that, to this, to this, to this, to this. We'll have, you know, this takeout, this takeout. We'll buy these extra things. We'll have these extra nice things. We'll do all these things. And yet when it comes to, you know, the tithe or the things that are the Lord's, it's like, "Mm, whatever's left. Whatever's left. Well, we flip back a page in Malachi. Is God pleased with whatever's left? (laughs) No, Malachi made no qualms about that. He wasn't. And you think, "Pastor Brian, this doesn't sound like a message to the church because you know the New Testament. You know, I've heard very fantastic pastors talk about that. You know that this is you know this isn't a this isn't a New Testament principle. I will. There, there have been many actually pastors that I revere and very much respect, and yet I would very humbly disagree." concerning the tithe i have personally tithed for many years and i have seen the work of the lord i have seen what it is here and you know one of the things that we see many times is that the the local church suffers and yet you go to a cult like the mormon you know staples and things like that the stakes that's what they're called you go to you know, other cults, and they, they're just like, they have all this cash. They have everything. They're just doing all this work, all these things, all these missionary journeys, all these things like that. And then the local church is just like barely getting by. Why? I don't know. It seems strange that people who don't know the truth and who are worshiping something that is false, who are deceived, are more open to trust the charlatans, so to speak, than the people who are worshiping the true and living God. Is that the way it should be? No. No, it's not. And you know, this is the thing, and just to end on this, when God says, test me, he says, see that I will not pour out the blessings." Guys, I can absolutely (laughs) declare I can absolutely, everybody who's hearing the sound of my voice here in this room and those who are hearing this on the website, those who are hearing on an an iPad download, guys, you know what? God is faithful. God is true. And he is speaking to a people right now who are in open rebellion to him. Now, the, the people in this room are not in open rebellion to the Lord whatsoever. And yet, there's still a principle here. There's still an area where it's like, gosh, you know what? Test me. Test me and see. Let God show you that he will open up the store, the, the, the windows of heaven, that he will open up the fullness of his blessing and pour it out on you, both in monetary and also in spiritual things. Because our God is good and he wants to bless. He is a blessing God. He loves to bless. And like I said, if somebody ties, it doesn't mean that, oh, God's automatically going to bless them. Because if there's sin in your life, then obviously that's one thing that's going to counteract the other. And yet, at the same time, in my own personal walk, I don't want my tithe to be a stumbling block for the blessings of God in my life. Amen? Our God is so good. He is so loving, and he is so faithful. And I would challenge every single one of you uh, this evening, I don't, I don't care you know, what other churches you guys go to and things like that, but whatever is your church, Test God on it. See. See what he'll do. And, you know, I've been praying about this. And we are, you know, because we're in a church plant mode right now. You know, we are in the church plant mode. and, And in every church plant. There's always there's a season where the expenses are always a little bit more than the income. And there's, you know, there's a course of time that that happens. If you've ever started a business or anything like that, same thing is true. And then there's a time when all of a sudden it kind of comes together like this, and then it switches and comes like this. Okay, We've kind of gotten to where we're just like right like that. We're just like right there. And I was thinking you know, of the Lord. It's like, yeah, you know what, Lord? The first, you know, the first time that we, without any other help, just within our own selves, you know, hit that right above, you know, we, you know we, where we completely hit everything just right, and then anything that's above it, ten percent of whatever is above it, you know, I want to give to world missions. I was like, yeah, oh, that'd be cool. And then it's funny because as I was preparing this, I was like, really, ten percent of uh, whatever's above, is that really a biblical principle, Pastor? Where's your faith? This month, 10% of the tithes are going to go to world missions. Something outside our borders. Something outside these walls. Whatever it is it's going to be. And you know what? We've got to take a step of faith. Hey, it's like, you know, we're, we're like right there. We're right there. So it's like, you know what? Lord, if, if you can't meet the need, if you can't do that, then really, come on. So we're going to begin. And, and you know, this is going to become a regular. Usually you don't do this in a church plant. But you know what? From this day forward, 10% is going to go to things that are going to be outside these walls. 10% is going to go to world missions, evangelism, and things like that in other countries. And As I was praying about it, the thing that came into my heart was far-reaching ministries. Uh, it's, an, it's an amazing ministry, and yeah, it has a lot of really great fruit in it. And so I just want to share that with you guys. So the tithe, an amazing thing, a wonderful opportunity. And it's important to understand the tithe. It's important to understand the fullness of it. And you won't hear me talk about tithing very often, almost never actually. And I, I don't know how long it's going to take us to get through the whole Bible, but there's probably only one more place that I can think of that is an absolute overt tithing text. And it'll be probably be a while before we get there. So uh, this is it. Drink deep of it. And you know, let it do its work within you. And I pray that you guys are as blessed in your giving as I am in mine. You know what? Heidi and I, like I said, we've been tithing for a long time, and we've never looked back, and we've never, ever been disappointed. And I promise you the Lord will do the same with you guys. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word, Lord, for this word. Lord, we thank you for tithing. Lord, we thank you for not withholding anything from us except that portion, Lord, that we need to trust you. Lord, we thank you so much that You didn't just say, hey, you know what? I'm God, you're not, and I'm going to take 90, and you take the 10. You live on the tithe. But you didn't, Lord. You said, take the fullness. Take the lion's share, but remember me. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and for your blessings upon us. Lord, you are faithful. Lord, we can declare that in this room. We can declare it because we have experienced it, Lord. We know it is true. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would just take these things, Lord, and that you know if your people are tithing and we're doing great, Lord, then amen and awesome, Lord. I pray that you would keep your word, even as you said, which I know you will, because we ask it according to your will. We pray that you would just bless and that you would continue to pour out the fullness of your blessing. But, Lord, for those of us who aren't quite there yet, Lord, I just pray that you would put a passion and desire in our heart to get there, Lord, that we might grow in so many things, in maturity, in love, in faith, in hope, in boldness. And Lord, I just pray that as we give, Lord, I pray that it would not be by compulsion or by shame, but by joy. For you withheld nothing from us, not even your own son. You gave it all, all to you we owe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.